What? Do we not have enough? There's some Christmas coloring books in the box right there as well. Um, we have a lot of children. If there are children who uh, um, need or people who have a short attention spans that, that need something to work on during the service, uh, my wife will be handing out coloring books, some of which will be Christmas-themed. Um, we still have our decorations up. It's okay. <laughs> if, uh, if you have children that you'd like to send down to the nursery, actually, uh, Teal said she'd um, um, guide some kids down to the nursery if they've decided that uh, they, they aren't going to be able to sit through listening to me talk for um, 20-ish minutes. Um, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer uh, this morning as we prepare to hear the message. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would uh, be with me and help me to speak uh, words that, that uh, reflect your will and your heart. Um, I ask you to, to be with the folks in the, in the church today and help them to be open and receptive and hear your word. And I pray that you, would, um, that you would move in a way that would make it so that it doesn't come back empty. Um, but that it would yield a yield a, uh, a return for us in Christ's name, Amen. All right, we are switching pulpits now. I don't know what it is about this one. I trip over it every time I use it, and I I uh, I can't deal with that. So I'm going to be distracted for one moment longer. Do you ever uh, pick up a book? and start reading it and get sidetracked on something else and come back to it about three months later, and it's sort of awkward starting to read it again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, or, or like where a TV series will end for the season and you'll come back to it like next season, or worse yet, you'll like not come back to it and you'll catch it on Netflix like three years later, and it's kind of awkward coming back to it. So we're on Philippians. <laughs> we were preaching Philippians up until Christmas, and we're coming back into it. So... Um, um, the, there's, there's a lot of backstory here that um, I, I'm not going to cover all of it today because I, I'd like to actually get through Philippians this month. Um, but if you're interested in hearing the backstory, you can um, go online. It's uh, sermons. Dot, or, is it sermon or sermons, Jess? Sermon.net slash patching cracks. And you can listen to all of the sermons in the series. Um, like if you have trouble sleeping at night or or something like that, and need help getting to sleep, it, it, it's a good option. Um, plus, you can pick up the backstory. Um, but what we've been looking at with Philippians, real quick, is, um, is joy. As Paul is writing this letter, it's, it's very focused on the topic of joy and, and being filled with joy in a way that, like, like doesn't go away. I mean, that's sort of permanent. Um, in the first sermon, I compared it to, to Dairy Queen ice cream, right? That's joy that keeps on giving. Unless you sit long enough and then it melts and it goes away, right? That's happiness. Joy is Dairy Queen ice cream that never melts. It's happiness that sticks with you no matter what the circumstances. It's joy that joy is like happiness that, that um, even when life is miserable and crummy and disastrous and the car broke down and you're sick and the you know, kids have poured paint on the carpet and everything else, you've still got this underlying sense of God is in control, God has blessed me, God has given me the stuff that I need, um, Life is good. Um, not that Abby's ever poured carpet or paint on the carpet yet. Definitely not at the parsonage, if that's what you're thinking. Um, <laughs> um, I, and I lost a slide, so I'm going to just keep talking, and we'll hope that they catch up with me. Um, in relation to the letter itself, we got some background. First off, Paul is writing this letter. Um, 
the church in Philippi is a church that he planted. He planted it um, years and years before. Uh, he, there's, the book of Acts covers it. It's actually a really interesting story. We know that it's a very diverse church. We know that there are several women involved in the leadership there, which is going to come back up here in a minute this week especially. Um, we know that um, it's a church that's in a town that's not very friendly to Christians because Paul was arrested there very quickly and tortured and whatnot. So um, the church may have been under some persecution, and there's some reference to that in the letter. Um, the other thing is that Paul is sitting in prison while he's writing this. Why is that significant? Well, he's in jail, and he's writing a letter about how to be happy in life. Like, and this is, we think of jail, you know, jail now is very gentle. Roman jail, not nice, right? Not nice at all. Paul went into jail. He had friends that were around him and supporting him while he was there, and almost all of them have left. And so Paul is there, and he's kind of lonely. Um, he, he has Timothy, and he has um, um, a fellow that the church in, in Philippi sent to take care of him, and he sends both of them away. So Paul basically is sending all his help away, and he's, you know, and he's saying, look, I don't even need people. I, I am good because... I have joy, and he talks about joy throughout the letter. Um, if you're interested in learning more about it, if you missed the previous sermons, if you don't remember it, um, the letter is very good. The sermons are online. Um, we're going to start in Philippians 4.2, and before we get to that, actually, I, uh, I, my last job, I worked there for about nine years, and, and when I had been there about five, um, I, I was the head of the spiritual life department, right, which wasn't very big. It was like me and... You know, but whatever. Um, and there was another fellow who was promoted about that time who took control of another, like a, he was an administrator like me, and he had a large section of programming that he ran. And um, we didn't get along. Anybody have anybody like that in your life? Folks that you encounter and you just, you just rub the wrong way? And every time you walk away from them, you got this bad taste in your mouth. Don't point, especially at me. Um, but, but, you know, this guy, I, no matter what I did, I was in conflict with him. And it's not like he was evil, because he wasn't, right? It's not like he was, you know, opposed to doing ministry at the children's home, because he wasn't. It's not as if he was, you know, there, there wasn't any specific thing. He just had that personality type, probably a lot like mine, actually, you know, the kind of personality type that just rubs some folks wrong. You know what I mean? And this guy... It started out a little bit, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, to the point, I remember I had one week where I had two very intense exchanges with him. Once where, where he got right up in my face, and we spoke very sternly at each other. And another where we actually just yelled at each other in an office. And it was, I was, oh. Anybody have somebody like that in your life? Is this, am I talking to, like, nobody who's dealt with this, really? <laughs> um and, and it became so much that it, it began to occupy my mind. I couldn't get my mind off it, right? And I, would, I had a 40-minute drive home every day, and I would drive home from work, and I would think about it, and I'd grind my teeth, and I'd get madder and madder and madder. And, and by the time I got home, I was fuming. I'm sure Jess remembers this. Because I would go home, I would drop my stuff off in the house, and I'd go for a walk, right, trying to, trying to cool off. And I remember I'd walk every day, and then one day I said, you know what, I should be praying about this. If I pray about it, maybe God will take care of this guy for me. Maybe God will do something for me. And I, I'm walking, and I'm praying, and I'm, I'm 
just steaming. And I remember this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, just far too long. And I'm, I'm praying about it, and, and I had this moment where I was saying, God, you know, can't you, can't you do something to soften this guy's heart? And, and I thought, I, I thought, I don't know, maybe it was a moment where God nudged me. It was definitely a very humbling moment where, where I thought, does this guy see Jesus when he looks at me? Am I being Jesus to this guy? Like, if, if the entire breadth of all of Christianity were judged by Chaplain Eric, what would it look like? And all of a sudden, I went from being really angry to being really ashamed of myself, right? Um, the letter up until this point, um, the letter up until this point has dealt with um, a lot about unity, a lot about standing together, a lot about taking care of each other, a lot about um, that sort of thing. Can you bump me forward? I lost the slides again. Um, and so Paul shifts into an odd spot here. He says, I urge Eodora and I urge Cynthia, Cynthia, that uh, sounds right, to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, up until this point, he's been talking about all of these matters of, hey, don't have conflict, don't have this, don't have that. And then we get to the last chapter, and Paul stops, and he acknowledges two people by name. Um, now, in our culture, if I were to say, now, Jim and Terry, you guys need to start getting along. Folks would walk away, and they'd be like, they don't fight, I don't think. <laughs> um, it, would be, it would be kind of a big deal, right? Like, people would walk out and be like, I can't believe he called out Jim like that. You know, I can't believe he called out that Terry guy like that. You know, I, wow, can you believe he did that? For Paul, even when Paul talks about enemies, even when Paul talks about people who are heretics, even when Paul talks about um, people who are, like, living in just deep, like, ugly, nasty sin, he doesn't generally use names. So for Paul to use their names is a big deal, okay? Like, for Paul to step out and say, hey, you, you two gals, these are gals, by the way, you two gals, I know it's hard to tell. I, <laughs> um, you two gals, you need, to, you need to start getting along. And actually, there's, there's sort of a trick in the Greek language where he says, I urge, I urge, right? Like he urges them twice. That emphasizes, the repetition emphasizes the importance of it. Um, why does he do that? Because it's a huge deal that these folks learn to live in harmony, Right? Because sometimes we come into conflict with folks, and we're in conflict with them not because they're heretics, right? Though we want to think that sometimes. Not because they're in sin, not because they're destroying the church, not because... But sometimes we just come into conflict with people because we rub each other wrong, right? I, I love my wife dearly. She's one of the, the, the highlights of my life. Um, but there are some days I get up and I'm cranky, and, and that crankiness, like no matter what she does, she's going to rub me wrong, right? And, and she's near perfect, so it's hard to believe that that's even possible, but it's possible. And I'm betting some of us do this too, right? You catch me on the wrong day, and I'm not going to be able to deal with you, right? What Paul is urging them to do, Paul is saying, he gives us several commands directly to the church at this point. And um, the first thing he says, listen, the first major command he gives in this letter is you need to live in harmony, right? You need to stand together. You need to be united. You need to work together. Like this harmony needs to be there. For me, what this meant, 
right, with this guy that I, this, this other administrator I was in conflict with, um, what this meant was I had to figure out a way to be Jesus to him, right? And so I stopped being angry right then. It was amazing how quickly that went away. And I started praying for him. And I prayed for him for weeks. And I'd get home from work every day, and instead of getting out of the car angry, I'd get out of the car, I'd go for a walk, and I'd pray for him. And after about three weeks, we were sitting at lunch, and he starts talking about how he has, has brake problems and he can't afford to fix it. And so I, I went and I, I fixed his brakes for him. Um, it was a perfect opportunity, but I was being nice then. Um, that was funny. <laughs> um, actually, knowing my mechanical skills. It's <laughs> um, but after that, every opportunity I had to serve this guy, I served him. I found, I found excuses. I went out of my way. I talked to his boss to find ways to help him do his job better. And he was still prickly. <laughs> right? He was. But you know what happened? I kept going. And 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 he still rubbed me the wrong way sometimes. And every time that happened, what did I do? I backed up and I said, well, how do I be Jesus to this guy? How do I do this? How do I do this? Um, this is one of those key things in churches, one of those things that churches oftentimes forget. Have any of y'all ever been involved in a church that decided they were going to fight with each other? Have any of y'all ever seen godly people, Christian folks? My wife is like jumping up and down back there. Christian folks, people who, who are otherwise like filled with the Holy Spirit, who cannot get along with each other long enough to worship God in the same room together. Paul is talking against this. He says, listen, you need to live in harmony. You need to stand together. You need to be on the same page. Why is that? Well, first off, Jesus gives us this command. This is John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. By the way, how did Jesus love us? He loved us dying for us, right? So if I have to love the people around me, even that jerk who rubs me the wrong way, nobody in this room rubs me the wrong way, um, even that guy that rubs me the wrong way, what do I have to do? Well, I have to go as far as Jesus would. Why? Because he commanded me to. And so I've got to figure out how to love people even when they rub me wrong. Um, and it's got to be everything. Part of the deal was, for me and for all believers, there's a part of us that has to die anyway. It's the old man, the flesh, right? The sinful part of us. Inside of all of you and inside of me especially, um, there's this evil thing that lives. And it's like driving, and it like, like you're driving, you're going in the right direction, and it'll reach up and grab the steering wheel and swerve you into, you know, into the ditch every once in a while. It says, hey, we're going to go sin now. Come on, let's steer the other way. Um, that's got to die. Um, how do we love everybody even when they drive us nuts? That part of us has to die. And how do we kill it? Well, it hurts when you do it, right? I'm generally thinking when things die, it hurts, right? I mean, I, I, it's just a guess. It hurt so much to start praying for that guy when I started, right? Why? Because I was mad. <laughs> How do I know I was going in the right direction? I was doing what Jesus wanted, and the part of me that was evil didn't like it. Um, coming to live in unity, coming to live as the body of Christ, it hurts sometimes. But it shouldn't hurt the people around us. It should hurt us. Because we need to be conformed to be Christ-like. Um, we move on. He says... Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. 
he refers back to these folks. By the way, True Companion, there's books written on who this guy may have been. I'm of the opinion it was maybe Luke who wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Um, but I'm not going to explain that right now. I lost that again. Um, shared in my struggle. So these women who Paul is talking about, these are people who've done ministry with him. These are people who've gone out and preached the gospel with him. These are people who've gone out and, and worked. And Paul didn't work a little. He worked hard. So these are folks who've done like the hard work with Paul. And he says, listen, help take care of these folks because they've shared the struggle with me together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are, names are in the book of life. What's he saying there? He's saying, listen, with all of these other sort of all-stars of the church who are definitely going to heaven, these gals worked with these guys. And so we know, we know that they're on the right page. But what does he tell them? Help. Help them out. How many of you guys have ever watched people start to fight with, with the folks around them or not get along with the folks around them and, and then listen to them gossip about it? Right? That's not helping. <laughs> I know it seems like it is, but it's not. Because generally gossip, how do you know it's gossip? Gossip is something that is like throwing gas on a fire, right? If I sit and I tell you why my wife is the worst person ever, that's, that's probably not me venting in a positive way. That's me throwing gas on the fire, right? Um, he's saying, help these folks. How do you help them? Well, first off, you encourage them to not fight. You demonstrate love for them. You challenge them. You hold them accountable. You, um, you push them in the direction. The other thing that we're called to do, and Paul like, goes through several commands here. So he says, listen, help these women out and rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why does he say it twice? Because it's important, right? Um, during my time when I was driving home every day and I was grumbling about this fellow who was giving me a hard time, was I rejoicing in the Lord? No, right? Um, I, I went to a church. The first church we worked for had, was it four or five church fights while we were there? It's bad when you lost count, right? <laughs> we were there for almost 10 years, and, and it was one thing after another, after another, after another. And I, I've never seen people more contentious with each other. And you know what? It was, hard to, it was hard to rejoice in God when you were thinking about why that guy was a jerk, right? I mean, it just is. And so part of how we're to live in harmony, right, is we're supposed to rejoice. Well, what are we rejoicing in? Well, for starters, Jesus died for you. And he died for that guy, right? If we're going to rejoice in what God has given us, it means reflecting on the biggest thing that God gave us, his son. Um, and so as I rejoice in the Lord, I can look at this person and I can look for reasons to praise God for them. If somebody is driving me nuts and I can say, you know what, praise God that dot, 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 I'm going to find ways over it. Um, if we celebrate difficulty, if we celebrate hardship, um, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? You're going to hit a pause button here. Does that sound nuts? You ever, like, step out and say, thank you, God, that it is 15 below? It is 15 below still, right? <laughs> thank you, God, that Eric just can't seem to finish. Thank you, God. That, I mean, like, we look at difficulty. We don't generally rejoice it because we live in a culture that doesn't like difficulty. Um, but the reality is that when we rejoice in the Lord, when we look to God and say, thank you for what you're giving me, Right? Even if I don't like it right now, thank you that you got me in your mind. Thank you that you're taking care of me. Thank you that at the end of the day, I know you've got me, and it's not like the whole world's going to fall apart. If I can stand in that spot, if I can rejoice in anything, um, 
it's going to be hard to be mad. It's going to be hard to backbite. It's going to be hard to do anything except for, like, glorify God. Um, you can bump me forward again. Uh, the second command he gives us to rejoice in the Lord. So we, we live in harmony and we rejoice in the Lord, right? Um, next slide. Um, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is near. Um, so the day that I, I got into a shouting match with this fellow in my office, do you think anybody looked at me and said, that is a guy who is gentle in spirit? Look at the gentleness falling off of him. I, I can't tell you how many folks I know who've fallen away from the Lord, like who I've talked to over the years, and I've said, so what, what's the deal? Like, why don't, why don't you follow God anymore? What? And they would say, Christians are some of the least pleasant people I've ever known, and I can't be near them. Anybody, like, like does that resonate at all? Um, the reality is that part of what God is calling us to do in all of this is to be gentle through and through, to take care of each other through and through. And so when I come across somebody that I have difficulty with, I'm to be gentle with them. I'm to be loving. I'm to live like Jesus toward them. Um, I'm supposed to die to my old self and become a new man. Um, and, and people look at that and they see it. People know if you're a jerk, right? I live in a small town now, and I'm going to tell you, people know if you're a jerk, right? <laughs> because, you know, you hear about it, right? And it spreads. Uh, but folks know if you're gentle and loving. He's not here, so I'm going to pick on him. I, I cannot tell you how many folks I've had. I'm pointing at the spot, and everybody probably knows who I'm talking about. Brooke Anderson, right? And Renee Anderson and their kids. Folks talk about them, and one of the things that, like, the general tone of it is, you have never met more gentle and giving and loving people, Right? Um, we joke about it. Actually, Jeremy tells, tells these stories about times he's driving in the truck once and he, he accidentally punches Brooke full on in the face. <laughs> and Brooke got mad. And it's sort of funny because he never gets mad, right? Because gentleness is sort of on him. Like, this is the kind of example, like Jesus, who hanging on the cross says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, Right? That's gentleness that, that, that's undeniable. Um, and that's what we're supposed to exemplify. How do we do that? Well, you don't just try real hard. You rejoice in the Lord, right? You learn to love the people around you, even if they're prickly and unpleasant, even if they're me. You have to love them. And it turns into this gentleness. It naturally comes off it. I don't handle Titus roughly. Where, I don't know where he is. But, but there are days that, that he's, he's a stinker, Right? I, I listened to my wife at, at I was sleeping, <laughs> but at, at four in the morning, I think, I had to ask because I was too asleep to check the clock, he started screaming, and so she fed him, and then he didn't want to go back to sleep, and from about four to seven, he fussed and, and cried, and, and I, I could hear her getting frustrated, but she never stopped being gentle. Why? Because she loves him, Right? Um, that's why babies are born cute, by the way. It's a survival mechanism. Um, it <laughs> oh, you laugh. <laughs> um, I don't know how I made it. I'm sure I... Anyway, it's because I'm not cute. It's... Um, <laughs> be... So... <laughs> so be gentle. Um, so we're to rejoice in the Lord. It results in a gentleness, a gentleness that just naturally comes off of being Christ-like. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Um, 
what's this about? Well, Paul's giving a command specifically to pray, right? It's really hard to pray that God would squish someone. Has anybody ever tried it? I'm going to admit I have, right, because <laughs> I'm not a very good guy. It is hard to say, God, you know what? I'm pretty sure this guy's got it coming. Can you step on him? <laughs> Can you send him some boils or something? I'm locusts? I don't know. I <laughs> it, it's really hard to do that and feel right before God. Like, you can't do it. Why do we pray? We pray because when we're in communion with God, he changes us, right? Communion with God is worship, right, rejoicing, and communion with other people, by the way, believe it or not. It's a huge part of it. When we interact with each other, we become more Christ-like. And finally, through prayer, um, I don't have to worry about whether or not this guy I was working with, right, he's not going to make me lose my job because God's in control. And if he does, God's going to have something better for me. This guy made my job harder. I didn't have to worry about that. Why? Because God's got it in the end, right? Ain't no bully in my life that's big enough that God can't handle him. That's true, right? There's no outward threat. There's no sickness. There's no nothing that God can't handle it. Um, and once I realize that, once I pray and I thank and I worship and I do all of this stuff, God steps in and he says, well, listen, if all of this is true and you believe all of this is true, then you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to worry. You don't need to be mad. You don't need any of that junk because I got it, right? So one of the things I love about having Abby is there are times Abby gets nervous about stuff. And I can say, I got it. And she knows I got it because I'm not going to let anything happen to my daughter, right? Every dad in the room just said, yeah, I know how that is, right? And there's a joy in knowing that she trusts me. God expects that kind of trust out of us, right? The kind of trust that, that, you know, can scare the monsters out of the closet because it's bedtime. I'm pretty sure she was making it up. Um, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, now check this out. Um, If I'm not fighting with anybody because I'm living in harmony and loving them, right? If I'm worshiping God and rejoicing, if I'm bringing my anxiousness to, you know, to God in prayer, if I'm taking all of this junk and it, I'm putting it away every day as a part of my Christian discipline, right? Discipline is an ugly word. We don't like it, right? Discipline, we think of it as get up early and go to the gym or <laughs> spank the kids because they're bad or whatever. But like discipline for Christians is training to be Christ-like. If I'm doing all of this stuff as a part of being Christ-like, if I'm putting to death the old man, the old sinful self, this peace of God that surpasses all understanding is going to step in and take control, right? If I can back up and say God's got it, then it doesn't matter because God's in control. And I can have a peace that, that doesn't even always make sense. Jess is talking about the, the couple um, with the husband has, has terminal cancer. I think she's been following that on Facebook, have you, honey? Um, and, and you read what these guys have to say, and this is a guy who's facing his own death. You know, he's going to leave a wife and daughter. I had a friend years ago who, who died of cancer. He was a very good friend of ours, and he left three kids and a wife, and, and everything the guy had to say toward the end was about his trust that God was going to take care of his family, his trust that God was going to take care of him, his trust that he would be in, in the presence of Jesus the next day. And, and when he passed, this is a guy who... Dying of cancer, there ain't no peace in that, is there? There ain't no like, oh, this will be all right. I, to me, I figure it's a little like the Titanic movie, that scene where they're on the top of the boat and the boat is like sticking straight up out of the water and it starts sinking straight down and the water's coming up at you. Like, 
oh my gosh, it's coming. (laughs) But there are lots of things in life that are like that. What Paul is giving us is, he's giving us direction to surrender to Christ, to become Christ-like. And in doing so, we can face the oncoming water as the boat is sinking underneath us and say, God's got it. Even if I don't survive this, God's got it. And he's got me. And he's got me to the tune of like sending his own son to die for me. And so much so that even though, am I going to pick on Larry, is driving me nuts, I can love him. He's not really, I love you, Larry. Um, <laughs> I can love him anyway. Why? Because Jesus died for him too. Um, this is the life that God calls us to live. Paul has spent most of the letter talking about like, like salvation. He's talked about joy. He's talked about all sorts of things. And as he comes to the end of it, it's rubber hits the road, right? And he says, actually, we're going to, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's good of, of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We're going to hit pause. The word dwell is a hard word. In, it's translated a bunch of different ways, like think on such things and stuff like that. Dwell, in this context, it means think in a way that affects how you live your life, Right? The way that Greeks understood it, it's concentrate or meditate on something in a way that it goes from being something you think to something you do, right? New Year's just hit, and all people, all sorts of people had resolutions where they said, I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. And about 4% of them are actually going to do it. <laughs> Why? Because lots of people think on things, and they think on it, and they think on it, and they think on it, and it has nothing to do with how they live, right? Paul's saying, take this stuff not focusing on why the other guy's a jerk, but why Jesus died for him, praising God for the things he gives us. Take all of this stuff and keep it in front of you and keep it in front of you in such a way as to where it translates into the way you walk through your life. It needs to be something that is rubber hits the road, right? Um, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, Paul comes back to himself. He talked about taking him as an example before, by the way, earlier in the letter. And what he says is, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And so he says, everything you learn and everything you saw me doing, do it. Why? Because I'm imitating Christ. When he's talking about all of this stuff we're called to do, we're called to do it in the process of imitating Christ. Imitating Christ is community. Imitating Christ in our, in our interactions with folks that drive us absolutely nuts. Um, giving our lives for folks, even if it's just giving our lives in small doses where we're shoveling people's driveways or, or trying to find w- bl- ways to bless folks who really tick us off all the time, right? This is what we're called to live. Part of how Christ um, commanded us, I'm going to call my, my guys forward for this, um, though I need to grab my plate. Part of how... Uh, Part of how Christ provided for us, um, he provided us a reminder. Um, what? Oh, I need to go back a slide? Bread first. <laughs> You'd think I'd practice this, or since I've done it about a hundred times, I'd be good at it by now, but no. Um and I don't think we have music for offering this morning unless Larry's going to hop up and play some music for us. Um, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
um, he broke bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Um, when we take communion, first off, we're remembering Jesus died for me. And this is something that, that I need to put in the very heart of who I am, right? It's not just something I acknowledge. It's something I fill myself with. It's something I live. Um, and we're called in our interactions with each other, in our interactions with him, to make it a lifestyle, to, to give our own lives in the way that he was broken for us. Um, and so as you take the bread, and we're a, a Church of God practices open communion. That means that if you're here and you believe in Jesus, you can take communion with us. Um, as you receive the bread, as you receive the body of Christ, um, reflect on it. How am I living this out? How am I living this death of Jesus out? Like, how is it, how is it changing me? How am I becoming Christ-like? And how am I repenting of my sins? How am I becoming the new man I was meant to be? Um, 